0: Hey, welcome to the Azaren Podcast. Hello. Uh, It's me, Brian, and... Liam. Yeah. uh, No Dave this week because work and life and other responsibilities. He's
1: too busy cursing video games somewhere.
0: Yeah. He's maybe playing some Resident Evil 7 still.
1: Oh, probably. He's been playing that non-stop for for
0: weeks. You've had a chance to play it yourself as well.
1: I played it about 20 minutes to half an hour. Yeah. Uh, It's really good so far. Uh, It was a bit too tense. I was playing it last night, about midnight, in my flat, alone, in the dark, with some headphones on. It was just too stressful. I had to turn it (laughs) on. I'll be playing it again tonight.
0: Well, uh, you're a braver man than I am. Oh, I don't know. (laughs) Uh, Let's start off with uh, last week's poorly remembered game quote. I Ah. just had to escape. I just had to be free. I didn't even know I had a destiny. And uh, that was Abe from... Abe's Odyssey. Abe's Odyssey. It's a fantastic game. It's a really Hmm. good quote. Uh, pretty much most of the narrative is done in rhyme, isn't it? I, I Yeah, it's yeah. it's really simple kind of stuff that I can't even remember.
1: I think we've spoken about it quite a lot in the podcast as well, just one of those games that just keeps coming back up. I, I remember it very much from my childhood. So creepy. Particularly as like a young person, like yeah. a, a young child, it sticks with you. I just remember feeling kind of sick, but in like excited kind of sick. Sure. Just because the subject matter is quite grim. It is, yeah. Um, uh, but that's a good one. It's a good line as well. It's right at the start of the game, I think. Just as, after he realises what's going to happen to the Madokins. It is, yeah. And, and he's fleeing. Um, and it really
0: sets the stage for, for the thing. That's a good quote. So here it is in context as well. I just had to escape. I just had to be free. And I didn't even know. I had a destiny. So... Get me out of here! And um, I suppose as well, like, it's set in a meat packing plant. Yeah. So being a vegetarian yourself, it must have it, been kind of gross.
1: Yeah, particularly, more so when I was a kid, I didn't have any, any tolerance for meat. People eating meat, seeing meat, being anywhere near meat, I was just like, this is freaky. Now I'm not so fussed about it, and yeah. I've at least tried it a bit, or inadvertently eaten meat, so. But as a child, that. Grossed me out.
0: Yeah, and the uh, the Oddworld, like the developers' social media just now, are doing a ARG, ARG yeah. an alternate reality game to it's promote for Soulstorm. Is it? Is it that is. What it's yeah. yeah, they're um, it's, it's like a kind of I don't want to say a retelling, but it's it's based on the Abe's Exodus story. Right.
1: Oh, so the because the way I had understand uh, stood it previously, they did Abe's Odyssey, mm-hmm. and they were like, if this does well, we'll do Abe's Exodus. Yeah. If that does well, we'll do a new game. So they've kind of amalgamated the two, New Game and Exodus. So it's not. Is that. Maybe, it yeah, because
0: it, it is. Um, it's much darker, and yeah. I think it is a slightly different story. Yeah. But it's it's around about the same time, from what I understand.
1: Okay, that's interesting. Yeah. Abe's Odyssey, the remake, while it was very much a remake, it didn't really. It never really captured what Abe's Odyssey was for me. It felt different in sort of atmosphere and. The, this is tone. new and tasty. Yeah. Right. Um. Everything to the, even the name and the sort of uh, design of the logo and stuff felt lighter than the old Abe's Odyssey. Yeah, definitely. um, Although it's a very good game, it never felt like a remake to me. It felt like a new game. Yeah. It's it's the same, but it isn't. It's different enough. It's weird. It's hard to pinpoint it down because obviously remakes change things. Yeah. But to me, it felt like they changed it in a way that it didn't really warrant redoing Exodus. So if they're doing the same thing where it's, it's Exodus, but we're doing it different. Yeah that to me is more interesting than just if it was exodus.
0: I think so, so yeah. So I mean this is probably based on the popularity of uh, New and Tasty. They've, they've yeah. had the ability to go back and like maybe reach a new audience or certainly a a returning audience. Yeah. Um but yeah, I, I am pretty excited for it. It looks the so far the pictures that have been released as part of the game have been really cool and it's uh it's been a nice theme as well. They've they've um, they've tied it in with like oh secret messages that uh, the modicans or this this secret group are trying to get out to you and you have to decode them. And so the, the, initially there was like a Morse code piece and it was just...
1: Oh, I saw that Um and they did the, the... uh I haven't been following the ROG, so I saw the sort of um photograph of the crumpled up piece of paper mm-hmm. with the sort of, is it like the chromatic aberration stuff on yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't really know what came of it. I kind of was going to mess about with it in Photoshop or something. See if that's... I don't know what the solution to that was, do you know?
0: Yeah, I don't know the solution, but I do know uh, there's been two pictures that have been released in fairly decent quality now yeah. as a result of people uh, solving them. And uh, in both cases, they kind of depict uh, the Madocans. In one, it's like kind of a, a labor line. Right. And they all look thoroughly upset and they're kind of just marching. I think there are Gluckans in the background of that one as well, maybe? I yeah. can't, can't remember off the top of my head, but there are details and I, yeah, you have to really check it out. I post them in the the uh, the post along with the the podcast, and the second one, it's uh, Madokin is strapped to what looks like a, a testing uh, bed, uh, and he's like got leather straps around him, and I think they're mm. experiment on him.
1: I never played Exodus as much as I played the first one. No, Odyssey, I've... I've completed Exodus. I've kind of just got a passing.
0: Yeah, I only really played through the the first stage in Exodus. Yeah, um, or certainly the first area. Um, mostly just playing around with the, I guess the. There was the ability to speak to multiple Mudokons at once, which you couldn't do in Abe's Odyssey.
1: In the first one, yeah, you kind of just had to address them as a
0: group. Yeah. right, Or you just no, kind of, one at a time, didn't you? In, in Exodus, yeah. you can say all of you. Oh, right. And, and then in, in the first one, the first you just one, kind one, you said of to... hi, and I think you just, you could only take one to the portal at a time, maybe. But if they were you... all on the same screen. Yeah. So you tell them to wait, but you bring them all to the same screen. Oh, then, then you, you just pull. sort of go,
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah. Congratulations at home if you got that one. Yeah, well done. Uh, Unfortunately, we only had one copy of Jimmy White's Whirlwind Snooker, so there's no more prizes left. Damn. Uh, But yeah, uh, shall we move on to some news articles? Let's
0: do the news, which you have uh, very thoughtfully prepared for us this week.
1: Yeah, I thought I'd contribute something this week.
0: Super organized.
1: So Netflix have kind of announced, with very little fanfare it seems, that they're doing a Castlevania cartoon. Uh, So this is supposedly coming to Netflix this year. They announced their schedule for 2017. And so it says Castlevania season one, part one, coming to Netflix in 2017. And that is the, that's it as far as we know about Castlevania. It's very, like I said, very little fanfare. There's some speculation on the part of, uh, Kotaku who speculated that it is going to be, um, created by Frederator who do Adventure Time. Oh. Um, and I think they did fairly odd parents. They've definitely done stuff for Cartoon Network. So that would be kind of cool. There was a tweet by a producer for Frederator called Adi Shankar, and he said, I'm producing a super violent Castlevania miniseries with my homies Fred Seibert and Kevin Klond. It's going to be dark, satirical, and after a decade of propaganda, it will flip the vampire subgenre on its head. So he tweeted that a year ago. So whether or not that is this, Mm -hmm. obviously in this kind of thing, over a year a lot can change. Certainly still working on that and whether it's this it, um it remains to be seen but I don't really know if Castlevania should be super violent yeah I mean there's there's sort of a lot of certainly things like um Castlevania bloodlines this the opening of that in America the the start screen was like a ribcage with like blood and stuff oh wow but it, it sounds was more like splatterhouse of, yeah but it was it was kind of in a way that was very um it, It's not graphic. Sure. Um, so I always feel like Castlevania kind of rides that line between if you're a kid and you're playing it, you feel like it's something that's a little bit you're not supposed to be playing this because it's, it's violent. But mm. it's not really that violent. Yeah. I don't know about later games. I'm more familiar with the earlier Castlevania games. haven't played the PlayStation 2 ones. Sure. But what I really would like it to be is like Vampire Hunter D. Have you seen that? I have, yeah. So that animation style... In fact, that film.
0: It's, it's really beautiful.
1: Yeah, well, that's uh, Blood. Is that Bloodlust? There's two. There's Vampire Hunter D, which is the earlier 80s one.
0: Oh, right, okay. And then
1: there's another one later. It's called like Vampire Hunter D Bloodlust or something. Which I have is, seen one of them, but I'm not sure yeah, which one. One of them is more akin to sort of like. Because I know Yoshitaku Amano did the uh, art for some of the books. Right. And so this animation is more like that, but the earlier one is more your sort of 80s anime. And it's got all these weird. It's basically all it is is. Uh, vampire D is gonna go and kill Dracula.
0: Although oh,
1: I think is he not Dracula? It's not what D stands for. He's not, is he? I can't remember.
0: I don't, I'm not too sure. I'm not. I'm not familiar with yeah. the Castlevania lore.
1: Basically, this is just the raid. Dracula's in his castle. Mm. I think he's kidnapped a girl, or he's been bothering girls in a local village. D shows up and he's like, "I'll, I'll kill that vampire for you." Goes up to his castle. And he's like, "I've got to get past all these monsters." And the whole thing just plays out like this super cheesy eighties version of the raid where D is mowing down these monsters he gets to Dracula and Dracula's just like sup <laughs> I'm bored and then have a martial arts fight yeah or something like that so
0: do you think they're maybe cashing in on the the whole ultra violence uh, that seems to be popular in TV shows nowadays like Game of Thrones and
1: yeah or like um, things like everything now after Deadpool everything has to be R rated yeah doesn't it so um, possibly well this was a year ago I can't remember when Deadpool came out but, sure. Um it certainly feels like maybe they're looking for something that they could sell that could be super violent. I don't know, just to me, Castlevania always felt like something that... It's not really for kids, but it should yeah. also be...
0: It's more like a gothic fantasy than it is. Yeah. like like, I don't know, some kind of gruesome uh, horror fest.
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm sure it'd be fine, and I'm quite excited to see what will come from it. And And obviously all of this is pure speculation, so I wouldn't want to say it's going to be bad.
0: So, I had some information from Netflix up yeah. just now. Okay. Um, so, it's a single season. It's yeah. going to be four episodes, and the runtime's 30 minutes for each episode. So, it's about two hours uh, yeah. all in all. Yeah, which is about the length of a feature length film. Yeah. Um, and it's also been uh, executive produced by Warren Ellis.
1: Warren Ellis, who is um, Transmetropolitan. Pass. Okay.
0: Uh, is and I, I do know he is, he is an acclaimed uh, comic book writer. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to have to hand in my uh, comic book card right now. Um, We're not known as... Yeah. Yeah, executive produced by Warren Ellis, Kevin Cold, Fred Sieber, and Ali Shankar. Adi Shankar. Okay, cool. So, there's, there's quite a few big names attached to it. Yeah. Um, you're right, yeah. He did yes. uh, write Transmetropolitan. Uh, and uh, a, a, I think he's been involved with quite a lot of yeah. uh, uh, like popular comic books.
1: That's definitely the one that I know him from. Not yeah. being an avid reader of comic books myself, but I have read Transmetropolitan.
0: Sure. I haven't Would actually you... read that one. It's
1: excellent. It's... Good.
0: And it's very highly rated, and I know our, our friend Keith is a big fan of it.
1: He is, yeah. Um, I think he's done excellent. He's done like Spider Jerusalem cosplay, hasn't he? He shaved <laughs> his head and got the glasses. Yeah. Um, if you have any interest in Castlevania, go watch the first Vampire Hunter D, because it could actually just be a Castlevania cartoon. Yeah. In that, if you think of Castlevania as just clearing dungeons, it's like, or not dungeons, but it's a Metroidvania stuff, you know, yeah. that sort of genre game. You're just going through the castle clearing things out fighting monsters and finding secrets yeah. it's basically what he does in the film he goes into vamp- uh, Dracula's castle it's full of all these monsters he has to get to the top and kill Dracula
0: it's got um fantastic soundtrack as well yeah I haven't uh, actually played much of the games I used to play them back in the Game Boy actually yeah. I had one of them I uh, don't know which one it was um, but it does have a really great soundtrack
1: one of the one of my all-time favorite video game tracks is Vampire Killer the one that's like... I know it. Yeah, yeah.
0: It's, it's heavily remixed. Yeah. On, on the remix uh, scene.
1: And, uh, and uh, Video Games Live do it as well, I think. Or they did... I don't know if they're still right. kicking or... or it's what. it's
0: on one of their albums, anyway.
1: Yeah. On the subject of the soundtrack, Mondo have been releasing Castlevania soundtracks on vinyl. Yes, they So have. they did the first one and I think they've just done Simon's Quest. And I haven't bought either of them. And I would love to buy them. I'm... It's a really and, nice collector's piece, I think. Yeah.
0: On a video game soundtrack on vinyl.
1: Yeah. Um, although I don't really know what the soundtrack gets out of vinyl. Sure. If you
0: think of vinyl, people
1: like the sort of uh, maybe not, it's like the fidelity or whatever. Whereas the soundtrack for Castlevania is, it's like eight bit. Yeah. M- Midi or whatever. Maybe it Meth just sounds music. cleaner. Yeah.
0: Uh, like, there's there's going to be uh, audiophiles who swear by it.
1: Yeah, well, people do like the sort of texture that you get from vinyl, because you'll get, like, the little subtle pops of the dust or whatever. I guess if you keep your vinyl records clean, you won't have as much. But there will be that there. So, yeah, it's, it's kind of like unavoidable. That. But it's, it's
0: Yeah, aesthetically, they're quite nice, I think.
1: Yeah, but uh, to round up that, it's basically um, coming this year, yeah. according to their release schedule. That's the Castlevania
0: Here's hoping it will be good, and uh, if it is, maybe we'll get more video game to yeah. cartoon adaptations. I
1: mean, it's just an interesting IP for them to to go for. It's a
0: very rich IP, though. Yeah. I mean, it's like it, I mean, it, essentially, it's just it's branding the the not horror, but like the the gothic yeah kind of fantasy lore.
1: It's probably quite a cheap one as well. Yeah. For them to take, I, I'd I'd assume so.
0: Well, I suppose if they're getting it from uh, Konami, right?
1: Yeah, that's weird. I don't know. I just think it's, if you're thinking of like things that there was always rumors that they were going to do Legend of Zelda, which I never really thought was possible. Maybe I'll be eating my words in a year's time. Maybe. But it just seems like Nintendo have a vice-like grip on their IP that's only just starting to loosen. Mm. So I couldn't see Netflix getting the go ahead to do a series, but Castlevania is not one I would have expected. Um, but obviously they're, they're very good at doing their TV shows. Cool. So I'm quite excited.
0: I've got some more news. I've been playing a lot of Yakuza. Uh, like Yakuza 0, and really been enjoying that. And there's there's been an announcement this week that Yakuza 1, 2, uh, 3, and 4 are getting a limited reprint in North America. And as with all things, hopefully it'll hit the UK as well. Um, But interestingly enough, uh, and this is news that you passed me, Yakuza 1 and 2 are going to be reprinted on PS2.
1: Yeah, as far as my understanding is from reading the articles, it's not a remake or a re-release or a port. Is because it is a straight reprint in the very um, meaning of the word. You know, they're reprinting them. If you missed them the first time, you can get them now and experience them as you would have experienced then. Yeah. Um, and that's just it's quite unusual, which is actually maybe a selling point. I think this will elevate these games and give it a higher profile than it would have just done if we'd re-released them on PlayStation Four or something.
0: It's uh it's an interesting choice as well um with Yakuza Kiwami coming out on uh, PS4 which is it's the first Yakuza game but uh completely re- remade yeah um and I think there's
1: ki- Kiwami remind me? I think we worked ultimate or, ultimate or something I think I mean, it's yeah.
0: it's ultimate or complete it's it's that kind of yeah. um like feel into it I will be very interested to know if they're releasing Yakuza 1 as the US release yeah and um, because it was there was a lot of controversy around the dub Right. They chose to dub it at the time and it was like it was an all-star cast.
1: Mark Hamill played uh what's his name? The guy with the eye patch. Uh
0: Majima Goro. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I I knew he was in it. I didn't know who he played. Yeah. But I was looking down a, a list of actors. Um it's still a really good game. I don't know it might be difficult for people to go back and play it after playing Yakuza 0 simply because the I'd imagine the controls are much much more attuned.
1: If you look at um I've never played the earlier Yakuza games just as a sort of disclaimer but if you look, I was watching some videos on YouTube and they definitely look clunkier mm. there's a lot of loading screens there's a lot of awkward just of the era it's not bad
0: yeah i mean it's ps2 it's yeah got to be like 10 years old or something
1: yeah some things age better from that era um, and translate better into like modern gaming you yeah. know whereas these ones are very much PlayStation 2 games
0: yeah it was um 2006 yeah on the PlayStation 2 if if i read the notes that you so lovingly prepared i would i would have <laughs> known that <laughs>
1: Yeah, um, so 10 years last year. Yeah. Interesting, actually, um, speaking of vinyls just then, because vinyls are obviously having a resurgence. Yeah. Which is a format that was not dead, but was the sort of domain of the audiophile, mm. the niche collector. And obviously, there are things now like you get people who do buy reproduction carts, and that's a very controversial area in game collecting, because it devalues the original carts right? a wee bit, I think. And then also people will try and pass them off as the original carts. Sure, yeah. And this is the first time uh, really, I th- it's probably happened, but it's the first time I've been aware of um, a game company actually reprinting their games in the format that they were in before. So, to my knowledge, they're not games that are valuable. Sure. Um But is this now something that, if this is successful, what does that mean for other companies? Like... How would people feel if somebody was to go and reprint Tumba officially? Or, you know, because that's a very valuable game with a limited run, so there are not a lot of copies available. Um, but I do like it. I like, I don't think that, um, to me, I don't collect games for value. Mm. That's not what it's about for me. I collect games primarily to have it and play something and to sort of preserve game culture and history, which I don't think a lot of people do. So to me this is a good move. You know, go back and say, well this game never really got the chance to be big in America. Yeah. So let's give people in America the chance to go back and experience those games. Um, that's to me that's interesting. I think that's something they should be doing more of Yeah, I think so. But I think certain people won't like that. And it's definitely in other sub like cultures, action figure collectors. Particularly people who collect Star Wars ones. Mm. There are people who do reproduction Star Wars figurines from the era. Right. And they get really particular about what you can do when you reproduce them because people are buying these figures that are genuine for lots of money and they don't want to see those depreciate in value.
0: Which is entirely fair. I mean, especially yeah. a lot of people will, will have invested in those after the fact. Yeah. You know, after they become more expensive. And then if, if someone's doing something to devalue it, then... yeah.
1: Um, and it's the same in Magic the Gathering. There is a ban list of cards, or it's not really a ban list. It's like a, a list where they said, we will not reprint these cards. And a lot of those cards are very valuable. So they won't reprint them in any form like the Black Lotus or something like that, which is worth $30,000. Yeah. Because if they reprint them, you devalue the original card cost and people don't like that. So it's at what point, who, who should you be keeping happy? Yeah. Is it about the art? and making sure people can experience it and enjoy it? Or is it about the collector and making sure his bottom line, you know, the money that he's spent, so, where's your sort of loyalty? So I wonder if there's
0: an argument for doing something similar to the platinum games, which yeah. is like when games had, uh, been out for a certain, once they'd hit a certain number of sales, yeah. they were released as a budget title. yeah, and um, But the box was completely different. And for a collector that would make all the difference because yeah. for someone that just wants to play it, it doesn't matter. no. But a collector is going to have the original without the big platinum logo on it yeah. or whatever.
1: And I think that's how they got around the Star Wars ones and certain reproduction carts. So the Star Wars ones, they would file off. They're done by moulding the figures. So they'll take the figure and create a cast of that figure and then remould it so what they'll do is they'll file off the um the copyright and the sort of George Lucas copyright bit on it. Yeah. And then you can identify it as not being original and it's not the same. Maybe something here like you said just have it say
0: I think passing it off as the original is maybe a bit unfair like you say, but Yeah. Th- this it's a great idea that people who have never played this are going to get to play it. Yeah. Um I think it would be maybe interesting if there is a way for them to include uh, both voice tracks, but yeah. if it's if it's PS2 I can't imagine that being the case, um, so yeah. I, I will be interested to to find out whether mm. it's the the US uh, like the dub or if it's the original Japanese voice cast. Yeah. Um, but it, it likely if it's a reprint, they're probably not going to change anything at all. No.
1: Um I know. So that raises a question: Is like how many people have a PlayStation Two that are going to want to play it that don't already have? Yeah. You know, people who have PlayStation Two now are the ones who are likely to seek out those titles anyway on their own volition. Yeah. So reprinting it for those people isn't going to make a lot of sense.
0: It's an interesting move. I mean, yeah. I, do you know anything about uh, how many prints they're going to do? Will it be another limited run? It's, or? it's.
1: I think it's very limited. Right. Um, it's really just a sort of another chance, rather than they're hoping to break out and be like, these games are successful now. Yeah. I mean, they are successful, just not in those territories. And yeah. It's just, if you are really enjoying these new ones... Here's an opportunity to get this, um, which makes sense. Well,
0: because even um, Yakuza 5, which was released digital only on PS3 recently, yeah, um, I'm not sure how the sales went down on that because it's a previous gen console yeah. and it was released um, like just a few months ago.
1: Yakuza 0 is obviously a much more high profile game and Kiwami and stuff. I think they're really just trying to break out into the Western market mm-hmm. and it seems to be working. There are definitely higher profile games than they were before. Particularly, I, I really enjoyed Four. I haven't played a lot of the games, but yeah, they're they're great games.
0: And we spoke about the the kind of story in Four and uh, Zero last week, so you can check out that podcast if you want to listen to more on that. Yeah. Um. For now, shall we move on to another item? Yep. Yeah. What do you got?
1: This is the news that Valve are killing Steam Greenlight, and depending on your experience with that, you might be happy, or I think some people are experiencing a bit of trepidation. They're unsure as to what this'll mean going forward. Yeah. Uh, I haven't got a great deal of experience with Greenlight. Sure. Um Name Drop. Monstrum.
0: Monstrum that was okay. a good
1: experience on Greenlight. That's a fun game.
0: That was something that you helped to Greenlight.
1: Uh no, I I I bought it out in Greenlight. Okay. Uh but friends of ours developed that. Yeah. Um
0: that was a uh, Team Junkfish through in Dundee.
1: Yeah. Um and I believe they were doing okay without my help you know it's not like i was there like oh you'll need me to buy it but i did buy it um, sure. green through green light and that was a great experience other ones not so much uh daisy i backed through green light or i think like or something early or, or early something. access or something um and that didn't work out quite so well okay. i never managed to get it to run i'm sure it runs better now but at the time i mean that's what you that's what you put yourself up for when you're doing these things
0: I think certainly when you buy a game early access, yeah. yeah. So Greenlight, I think Greenlight and early access are separate. Slightly
1: different. Greenlight's more like Kickstarter. Well, early access is more like...
0: Not even, because I, I don't think you can always buy a game that's on uh, Greenlight.
1: Right, okay. So, Green,
0: so Greenlight is like the developer community, yeah. where they can post uh, development work. Um, you know, they can tell you what they're working on, post screenshots, videos, try and get, uh, try and build a community around something that's coming soon.
1: Right, But okay. also,
0: the uh, when you're on Greenlight, you... You open uh, a poll, which okay. is an and interest you poll. Vote for it and people can vote for it to say, yes, I would buy this game. So um, it's more
1: like um, LEGO um, Ideas or LEGO KUSO. Pass. Uh, <laughs> so it's the people can put up their own instructions for LEGO kits. Oh, right. And then people would vote. Um, and it works actually like the UK government petition website. Yeah. If you hit 10,000 likes. Ah. Uh-huh. Lego engineers will look at it and evaluate the feasibility of this product, as oh. a, this design as a product. And then it'll move forward and you can vote on it again. And then if it passes that vote, they will then take it and produce that item as an actual product and you can buy it in stores.
0: That's really cool. That's a nice idea.
1: Yeah. So um, I'm not sure then actually if Monstrum was on Greenlight or if it was early access. Um,
0: so I think it would have had to go through Greenlight. To be on Steam. To be on Steam. I, I okay. think you have to get a certain number of votes before your game can go on. Yeah. Uh, and then I think it's it's up to the developer if they want to release early access or not.
1: Okay. Yeah, because it was definitely early access. I think. Yeah. When I bought it, there was certain things weren't implemented yet. Um, although it was a complete experience, like yeah. it wasn't just like here's something to mess about with. Yeah, yeah. But definitely, um, there's been some some people are upset by this. I think some developers are unsure as to how it's going to affect them going forward. Yeah. So, um, for instance, uh. Well, here's the, here's the deal. So they're getting rid of Steam Greenlight and they're introducing a new service, which is going to be called Steam Direct. Uh, and so I'm going to read out a quote here as to how it will work. Okay. Um, this is from Valve, uh, who released a, a press release about this. It says, uh, we will ask new developers to complete a set of digital paperwork, personal or company verification and tax documents similar to the process of applying for a bank account. Once set up, developers will pay a recoupable application fee for each new title they wish to distribute, which is intended to decrease the noise in the submission pipeline. So um the thing I think that people have most umbrage with at the moment is they're not really sure what this recoupable application fee is going to be. Steam haven't said, or Valve haven't said, what the actual price point will be yep. for putting something up onto Steam Direct. Um they They did poll developers to see what developers would be willing to pay so they've revealed what they've found from that. Um, and that was between a hundred and dollars to five thousand dollars, uh, which I think it says here was about eighty pounds to four thousand pounds. Mm. Um, which is depending on where you are on that scale and depending on the size of the developer or studio, that's a lot of money.
0: It's quite a big leap. Yeah.
1: And that's per title.
0: And that, that might uh, inhibit some smaller developers from actually getting their game onto a platform that has millions of uh, users.
1: Yeah. And the thing is, um, as we discussed before the podcast, um, the recoupable part of that is, at least what we believe is, you will get that money back on sales. Is that what
0: we decided? That's what I would interpret it as. Yeah.
1: So there, what we have now is, that's a gamble for developers on top of, well, obviously they have to recoup their development costs. Mm. So there's a a, a number that they're like, we need to get that back. Now, put on top of that, they need to get back this um £4,000, let's say it might be. Yeah. So they pay that up front. If they pay that £4,000 up front and then they sell £2,000 worth of product, Yeah. they're out, let's say, maybe £3,000, depending on how that recoupable cost is spread over the first initial sales. Yeah. Um On top of the development cost and then other distribution costs elsewhere. Yeah. So um, for a thing that is intended to make it easier for developers to reach customers, the developers are taking the hit. They are, yeah. Um, it's not really being met halfway.
0: It's maybe worth talking about the potential benefits as well.
1: Yeah. So the intention um, that Steam have is, uh, and here's a direct quote, their primary goal is to make customers happy. Mm-hmm. So with the Steam green Link, I think what you found was a lot of customers felt hard done by. Where there wasn't a lot of, um, the reassurance that what they were getting was uh, a solid title. I think maybe down to a few developers who abused it rather than it being just part of the system, you know. Yeah. Most developers used it and delivered great products to people that wanted to buy them. Uh, Some people capitalized on the system to maybe shift subpar products.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, it's definitely a system that could be abused. Yeah. Um, there were there were certainly reports of people who were paying for positive um, votes yeah. in order to get their game onto the platform, you know, at which point they, they would have to pay nothing to have yeah. this game on the platform and then be ripping people off with a subpar title. Yeah. So I, I guess the initial payment...
1: Is to sort of weed them
0: out, it, I guess. It should, yeah. yeah.
1: Um, sort of like, if you want to be on this, you need to have a certain cent- like commitment to it. You can't just grab some cash and run. Yeah. And it makes sense. I think that these things there's always a sort of trying to find the sweet spot, which is easier said than done. So while I can see why that's important, sometimes it feels a bit like uh throwing the baby out with the bathwater, is that the term? Yeah, I think so. Um are they are they they're getting rid of some of the shittier titles, but are they getting rid of some other titles that just can't afford to be on it? And are we now just going back to pre greenlight light? So are they
0: actually going to remove titles that are currently on the platform? Or is this going to be a slow progression?
1: They haven't said how this will transition. Mm. As far as I know, um, stuff that is on there will stay on there, maybe, if it's been greenlit.
0: Maybe just not allow any new titles to be added.
1: If you're going to go forward, if you have to add something, you're going to have to go through this new Steam Direct uh, thing,
0: I mean, I think one of the the problems that I have with Greenlight is it's not a very good service. Like, as a as a consumer, I don't think it at best represents uh, interesting titles, or no. it, there's not a lot of variation with it from from whenever I've rarely used it, and it's certainly not pushing um, pushing content into a place where I can see it. The the majority of the time that I've used Steam Greenlight, I've been directly linked from a developer's uh, website or yeah. a, a blog or something.
1: The um the thing that I would most Compare it to is sort of mobile gaming stores like Android Store mm. uh, and iOS stores where there's a lot of just, there is a lot of rubbish on those stores. Yeah. And then, but also, not only that, things are most likely to just be lamenting in you know, obscurity. Mm-hmm. There is, I know they have like uh, editor's picks and stuff like that, but unless you're a prominent game already, you're not going to be getting that editor's picks. That's yeah. usually stuff that is high profile. Anyway, so like, you, yeah, you're you're correct. I, I'm not aware of any huge Greenlight titles. It's not something that's ever on my radar. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's more sort of people who are into that already or, or going and looking about it are going to find it. But, yeah. And I, I don't really know how much of the actual storefront is dedicated to Greenlight. I'm not a big Steam user. I I use it sometimes, but I'm a console gamer, so primarily. Um,
0: I I wonder as well if um if the the new price tag. The developers have to pay will have people using other platforms to submit their games yeah. so things like heo good old games yeah where people might get a better deal um might be easier for them to to put their titles onto that platform and then maybe we'll see kind of more competition yeah. a- against valve but i mean at the same time to me anyway valve has always felt like a place where bigger releases appear like, I mean, I, I use other platforms like HEO yeah. to to see what hobbyists and uh, Indies have been working on. Less so Valve and uh, Steam Greenlight.
1: I think that comes down to like definitely corporate culture. So, uh, good old games are obviously owned by CD Projekt, um, who I like to name drop at any opportunity because I think they're just the best. They're pretty, but cool their guys. sort of like history lends itself to like the smaller guy. Yeah, you know, they they started off um, sort of porting games or, or translating games into Polish. Um, and they're very much about the, the content. Yeah. They're really into their developers and their developers themselves. Um, so, whereas I know that Valve are as well, but it feels less and less like developing is what Valve really wants to do. They're a money so. making juggernaut now. That's all they really do is generate and get bigger and bigger and bigger. Yeah. Um, and it feels like this sort of thing feels to me
0: i mean steam's a great business for them yeah like they, they they don't have to make games and no. they can make money off other people's games yeah so i guess as long as they can continue to provide a platform that people use yeah. to submit their games to this audience and as long as they can retain that audience that's their that's going to be their bottom line that's, yeah that's like their business model
1: and this just does feel like they're protecting themselves a bit mm. so they're looking at green light and going this is giving steam a bad name mm. um so let's you know I don't really think that they're that concerned if certain games don't get the chance that they would, even though those are perfectly excellent games that would make a lot of money when it comes to yeah um they're putting this into place to sort of say we want to like they said, they' said it themselves, the primary goal is to make the customer happy, that's where their money comes from. I think that's really the crux of it is they're just saying we liked having you here, yeah, but too much shit is going down we We want to just sort of bring the control back a bit and say this is what you're going to have to do if you can't meet us on these terms, then...
0: Yep. We'll keep an eye on it, certainly, and yeah. report back. I think that price point is going to be a, an important yeah. uh, point of contention. And it is. It's
1: a wide range. It's from 80 to £4,000. Yeah. So that's that's the whole... You know, could be cheap. £80 pounds is quite cheap if you think of releasing a game. £4,000, like, it depends on the developer, but that's quite a big price tag for an indie studio that has, like... Two employees who want to release a game that they've really had to starve themselves to make kind of thing, you know? Yeah. Um, But no, it's an interesting development. I'm just not really sure where it's going to go. We'll have to see on that one. Cool. Uh, An interesting figure is, though, um, that I I thought that there was now over 100 Greenlight titles... ...that have made at least $1 million each. Mm. Which does show that although maybe things are harder to find on Greenlight... But there are success stories. Yeah. Um, So it's definitely been like a a force for good in the game development sort of scene, maybe. People are making money on it. I think a
0: large part of that has got to be Steam's audience. Yeah. It's pretty much anyone that is a PC gamer is going to have that installed on their their computer. Yeah. Um, So having access to millions of gamers. Yeah. And being able to get your title out there, I guess. Because they do... They do market titles to a certain extent once they are on the store.
1: Yeah, I guess once you're once you're on the store, they sort of treat you more like the rest of the people who are submit stuff. But um, cool,
0: yeah. Shall we take a quick break? Sure. Uh, let's go for a break. Hey, welcome back. Hello. Uh, just quickly, uh, as an aside, when I was uh, when we took a break, I got an email from Square Enix. We were just talking about Steam, all of their titles from Final Fantasy... Uh, two, I think, through 14 mm. are discounted by 50% just now on Steam. That's a pretty good deal. As part of their 30th anniversary celebration. So, we're not on commission, not yeah. by not by Steam. So, completely uh, unbiased advertisement there. But, uh, if, if you're interested, then maybe check it out.
1: Buy eight. I think it's my vote. Yeah. For a game that you should buy if you haven't played any of the Far Pass again. Oh, right, as
0: opposed to buying eight games. No, by, yeah. by the eighth. By the eighth one. <laughs>
1: Or eight, but if you buy the eight, include eight. Yeah. Yeah.
0: More so than seven. Uh
1: seven's great to buy that, but if if you were only gonna buy one, I would go eight. Okay. And then seven. And then uh I don't know.
0: I'd quite like to play nine again. Yeah, nine's good. I played that recently. It's been a while since I've played that.
1: I feel like I should put sixth sixth third, just so that Johnny doesn't hurt me.
0: Six is very good also. <laughs> yeah. It it'd probably be up there as um, my second choice, I guess. Yeah. Um Cool. Uh so let's move on to the last news item. Yeah. What you got for us?
1: So um this year for the first time ever, I believe E3 are going to be op- is going to be open to the public. Uh which means there's going to be 15,000 tickets which will be going on sale Monday the 13th
0: of February. Fifteen thousand unwashed, <laughs>
1: who have um, no—you know—these are people who won't be able to get access to E3 normally. The the public will be given access to the show, basically, for the uh, nice price of two hundred and fifty dollars for three days, which is quite a lot, depending on your, I guess, wallet. Yeah, for me, that's a lot of money
0: compared to like a UK convention or exhibition. Yeah, that's quite a bit more.
1: Um, and I know this is a lot bigger than say like MCM or something, mm. but. I think you'd get more out of going to MCM. You reckon? I think, yeah. To me personally, I'm looking at sort of what am I going to get done at a convention mm-hmm. or an expo. MCM is less busy. You know, you're gonna you're not gonna to have to wait in queues as long as you will at E3. There's like people wait hours at E3 to play Zelda or whatever. I don't know about the like the smaller games, but like most stuff at Expo, you can go and you wait 15 minutes. You have a look.
0: Yeah, I suppose that's true.
1: So your time. But, I mean, it's an interesting development. Um, certainly for people, I know that a lot of people want to go to E3 and experience that. Uh, it does not include the press conferences. It the only need- includes floor access and other smaller events and panels.
0: Sure. So the press conferences are the ones that are always streamed. That's like your, uh, your big developers and stuff.
1: Yeah. So you're talking like Sony, uh, Microsoft, Nintendo don't really do one anymore. So that doesn't no. count. Um, but activision ubisoft ea um, that to me is what e3 is you know i know that there's a lot of stuff yeah, that goes but... on on the floor um, but for me it's about seeing what the the big companies have coming soon yeah that's the exciting bit is what are they going to announce i think so, so
0: um maybe come back to the the bigger uh, press screeners in a sec yeah but do we think this is going to have implications for the event in general if they if they're changing their their core audience
1: Yeah, so I think it's um, sort of symptomatic rather than uh, having... um, It's going to have an effect on it rather this is the result of um, it becoming less relevant. Mm. Um, And so uh, GameSpot have reported on this and they actually cover sort of the relevancy of uh, E3. Um, But you're seeing more and more um, big names sort of abandon it in sort of favor of their own things. Yeah. So I know DICE do their own thing during E3 off-site. It's
0: like the Dice Summit.
1: Yeah. Um, so they have more control over who can attend and, yeah. and what they can do. And then also Nintendo always do their Nintendo Direct at the same time as E3, but again, not at E3. Yeah.
0: They're, they're not reliant on it. They're yeah. not dependent on it.
1: Um, and, and that is, I think, a long time coming. It's just as a result of the way E3 is now. Because previously, uh, in years ago, um, they didn't stream E3 conferences. So yeah. it was only the domain of the press. The press would go to these conferences and then report on them. That's right. Whereas now it's more direct stream. People watch it and get it firsthand and it's becoming more of a, it became more of a spectacle. So people would watch it for these huge conferences. Um, but with that, now they're realizing that due to the internet and streaming, they can be even more direct and mm-hmm. cut out the middleman of E3 or the expenses or the restrictions and sort of say, if you want to see what we've got, we're doing something, but we're doing it over here. Yeah, um, and I think you mentioned PlayStation Experience.
0: Yeah, so it's it's like PlayStation Experience for me is one of the calendar highlights. Yeah, because I I only really play um, on PS4 as a console. I play a PC as well, but things like Xbox and Nintendo are of less interest to me. Yeah. And it, it, that's not like fanboyism. That's just I don't know. I guess it's more relevant. Yeah,
1: again, it also comes down to what console you own. Yeah, so absolutely. I don't own an Xbox One. I don't play my Wii U, Mm -hmm. so to me, really, the PlayStation 4 has the most relevancy to me because that's what I'm going to be gaming on. So So I I wonder
0: if we can look forward to maybe less big announcements at E3, um, certainly from PlayStation.
1: Yeah. Um, What I would assume now is this is maybe... Because 15,000 tickets is not a lot in the grand scheme of things. It's not, no. For E3. I mean, that's
0: over three days as well. There's no guarantee that everyone will go to all three days.
1: Yeah. Um, and it's midweek as well, mm. for one thing. So what this would seem is maybe they're testing the water uh, and if these people go and they, they enjoy it, next year they'll increase the ticket sales and you'll see a shift from being something that is a press event to being more of a sort of Comic-Con consumer type event. Yeah, quite um, possibly, yeah. And I think that that is just something that E3 knows that they'll have to come up against in the future. Mm. They'll need to reinvent themselves and sort of find a new relevancy. But I'm not really sure what market there is for that kind of thing within games.
0: Like, like a consumer expo?
1: Yeah, or um, something like Comic-Con for video games.
0: Yeah. I mean, I suppose it is still like the biggest event. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's. I mean, America, I guess, have got a much bigger audience than, yeah. than in the UK. So instead of everyone flooding to London, maybe it's like okay. LA is like an East Coast, no west coast thing yeah uh, so it's it's maybe just as much as a lot of people want to go maybe only people from a certain area that's like that that's their catchment and maybe this yeah i'm not really sure yeah i mean i certainly think they they are they're if they're targeting a different audience that means that the developers and um the the other companies the publishers and stuff that are going to be on the show floor are going to have to maybe attract a different group of people yeah instead of like being oh this is press you want to play our game so you can um screen it or whatever or like write reviews it's like oh well you're an audience uh of consumers so we want to sell you pre-orders we want to sell you merchandise yeah um, you, you're you less interested in maybe the granular stuff but here's some free shit and go tell your friends on social media yeah
1: um i mean like that's the thing um this isn't so much, the shift from sort of being press oriented to sort of consumer oriented. Um, it, it's kind of been a gradual thing. This isn't just a, a sudden revelation. Um, they, they have been doing more and more with their sort of online sh- streaming shows. Yeah. So like Jeff Keighley always does a big E3 show. Um, I can't remember what they actually call it. We call it the Pope scope. <laughs> um, obviously Jeff Keighley gets called the Doritos Pope. Yeah. Uh, what does he call it? Like Jeff Keighley's E3 presentation thing It sure. streams all the way through
0: e3 I, t- I usually sleep through them like uh, when I was yeah. younger i used to stay up and watch but i'm, I'm just at work every day now yeah. so like it's um
1: I catch up with it later on so I don't really get all that but um it says here that last year um and i don't know how they quantify this or uh, e3 generated more than 65 billion media impress- uh, impressions around the globe I don't really that sounds like a, a a statistic that they've sort of used as a Mm, I Wait, don't really what 65... 65 billion media impressions. So what is a media impression, and how do they quantify that? I don't
0: know. How does it work? Uh, is is...
1: I, I would assume it's like uh, articles that Views have been per shared. Article or yeah, per, per video
0: or something. That's that's yeah, a lot. Or that's likes
1: a... or um, streams
0: or something. Cause that's like more than what nine times the number of people on the planet. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it's an it's an insane. That's, that's um, a... Unquantifiable number,
1: yeah, and I don't know how they've quantified that, or if it's a typo in the article, and they meant 6 million. 5 or sixty five million yeah maybe um or so basically that is a lot of numbers, so they've maybe seen that and said there's more money to be made bringing these people into the show than to be made from um, bringing in press, yeah, um, and so uh. It's a weird sort of. Maybe it's now there's just a weird middle ground where they're like, well, press still want to be there, but this is the future. Yeah. And I think it is. I think in about f- five or ten years' time, that's what E3 will be. Yeah. And you will and have the PlayStation experience. And
0: so. There's got to be a limit as to how many uh, press can actually. How many members of the press can get a fulfilling experience from being there in person nowadays yeah. as well. Because it's probably so much easier to stream it and then live tweet or write about it as it's happening from. A more comfortable area than than being sitting in on the show floor, so yeah plus the the, the i don't know I guess what we term as press as well unless e three are really selective, yeah, you know that's like bloggers youtubers um there's probably a lot of independent press there instead of just all yeah. like larger media sites nowadays so um
1: and then that again is the thing with social media um the line between media and individuals is blurring mm. so um That's one of the things that they've claimed that this is at the uh, sort of comes from a desire from the exhibitors who would like to um, interact directly with the public. Mm -hmm. And then that obviously would generate buzz on Twitter and social media and Reddit and stuff like that. Yeah. So um, the quote here is uh, this feedback we heard was clear. They wanted to play the games inside Oh sorry, this has some context. So they'd they actually previously have had an E3 event outside the convention center. Okay. Where people of the members of the public can go and play games. Sort
0: of like a fringe. Yeah, expert. during
1: E3. Right. So it's uh, across the street in another exhibition center.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and they polled people who went to that. And the feedback was this is good, we like playing games, but we want in the convention centre. Yeah, yeah. So the quote here is the feedback we heard was clear. They wanted to play the games inside the convention center. In addition, exhibitors inside the convention center wanted to have access to the fans, so this year we're bringing the two together. Yeah. So that says to me that maybe the exhibitors see the media as a middleman, it is. where they they can't directly um, control what they're saying about their product.
0: I, I suppose as well, this ties into a lot of companies uh, refusing game copies to the press now, yeah. because if they go if they skip the press, they can always guarantee that they can sell their product rather yeah. than sell someone else's perspective of their product.
1: Exactly. So they'll have like a very specific message. Yeah. This is what this game should be to you. Yeah. Um, and so maybe they see this now as, an, uh, if the public are so interested in E3, why not just cut out the media and we'll do it ourselves? Um, it's kind of hard to, uh, gauge from the news articles at the moment because they are, um, heavily, um, that they've got a heavy PR hand to it. So they're trying to diminish maybe, uh, any feelings that people have that this is a, a reaction to E3 becoming less relevant in the media. Right. Or to the exhibitors. Um, in fact, um, this man, Taylor, he actually has said that, um, on the question of relevancy, um, and he comes across quite maybe bitter, I don't know. Yeah. Um, but says, uh, Taylor says E3 faces the relevancy question every year because it's the year's juggernaut when it comes to gaming shows. I think that there are those who will always enjoy questioning those at the top of the leaderboard. E3 has a reputation around the world as the place where video games, hardware, and software launches happen. So um he's there saying all of these things that people are saying where we're, we're losing relevancy. That's just because we're really good at what we're doing. We're the best and everyone loves it, basically, you know all this stuff happens here. Yeah. Which kind of... It, it, it sounds a bit like defensive. Yeah, it does. He's like he's basically saying, no, that's not true. And it's only because of we're the opposite of what they're saying. Yeah. You know, they're saying this because we are the opposite, which makes no sense. He's not really providing an explanation as to why that's not true. He's just saying it's not true.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, no, nah, I, I don't think he's correct in saying that i mean yeah. it, like if you think back like maybe five or six years ago at e3 you would find out about new console launches yeah whereas nowadays you hear about things like the playstation pro or playstation vr from the playstation experience yeah. that's one example um nintendo does its treehouse adverts and stuff so yeah. i wouldn't say it's, it's not that it's less relevant i think it's just changing yeah it's, and it's, it's maybe just his his um statement it's maybe just like a, a reaction yeah to to, to the negative feedback he's had.
1: I think on paper, if you look at what is happening, it's mm. clear that they know that the sort of uh, thing is shifting and it's becoming something else. Yeah. But when it comes to actually talking about it, they don't want to show that they, you know, they feels like they've got maybe a chip on their shoulder Yeah. about it because they've always been known as the source, you know, of all these announcements. Yeah. And now they're not, they're becoming something else. But...
0: If they're having to change, it's, it's obviously yeah. going to be a time of uncertainty for the event. And yeah. this this... Like fifteen thousand tickets open to the public for the first time. This will be uh, not make or break, but it yeah. will certainly give them feedback and some kind of idea of direction for the future. Yeah. So um, it will be interesting. I wonder if it will actually change anything for us when we're watching this year.
1: Or... It's. Um, I would assume that the uh, sort of segments. Jeff Keeley has been um, highlighted as somebody who will be involved in entertaining the attendees kind of they'll be more involved in his streaming thing mm-hmm. so it might be less of a sort of we at the studio you at home it'll be sort of like we at the studio whoever in-studio audience are doing this and you're kind of watching it um i don't know i th- i just think it's it's going to be less of an insider industry thing mm-hmm. more of a a general consumerist thing where we'll, we'll see where it goes i, I don't think e3 is going to be that much different over the next couple of years. I can't see it turning on a dime and being something completely different. Sure. But there's it's definitely gonna find some weird uh middle ground for a while.
0: Okay. Um so I think we've got a few things to close up on.
1: Yeah, just a few um odds and ends, I guess. Cool. Um do you want to tell
0: us about your awesome find.
1: Yeah, so uh haven't really been playing very much recently. Sure. Um but I was uh visiting a few charity shops, which I don't do very often. Um but I happened upon Two big box copies of Counter-Strike Aftermath and Counter-Strike, some other word like Aftermath. These are expansion discs for the original Red Alert, Mm -hmm. um, which is a really great find. They were in all right condition, 99p each. I was quite happy. Um, Everything's inside the box, all the discs, the manuals and some adverts and stuff.
0: Is this before the era of CD keys, like serial keys? I don't believe
1: so. I can't remember if they actually had CD keys in the box. Okay. I'm not going to play it.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's more, it's more collectors' t- type thing. Yeah,
1: if I want to play it, there's other ways to play it. Sure. I'm not too fussed about whether I can play that specific disc. Mm. Um, but the interesting thing was the original receipt from 1997 was still inside the box, and I love seeing this kind of thing mm-hmm. because it, it takes it connects you to that moment when that person went into that shop and bought this game. They paid 14.99. They paid cash, <laughs> and I believe they bought them from Electronics Boutique. Yeah, and that's a. Brought me to my sort of wee topic that I wanted to talk about, which is in game collecting, a lot of the time you're buying pre-owned games, obviously. Mm -hmm. Older games. And a lot of the time you find weird things inside the box. Some not so weird, some more just interesting. A lot of the time they're receipts. Mm -hmm. So I used to have a boxed copy of, or a boxed Dreamcast, and that had the original receipt from when they bought their Dreamcast. That's always fun to see. So i got a few things to sort of talk through. Uh, one of them is I've got a copy of Super Mario Sunshine. And okay. this one's of note because it has two receipts in it. Uh-huh. The first receipt being the pre-order slip, um, which, uh, notably, they pre-ordered it for free, mm-hmm. which you wouldn't really get now. It's like a fiver per pre-order, yeah. usually. Um, and then they've got the purchase receipt, both inside the case. The fr- uh, and they, the first receipt, um, the same store, obviously, but the first receipt is branded Electronics Boutique. Mm-hmm. Uh, which was a um, a series of stores in Britain. And I believe that you can still get them in Australia and America now under the EB Games brand. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this is um, in 2002, I believe, Super Mario Sunshine came out. The first receipt's August, the second receipt's September. Um, and during the time between the pre-order slip and the purchase receipt, EB Games was rebranded t- to Game, which is what it is now. Um, and a lot of you will know Game because it's a very...
0: Because I used to work there. Oh, did you? I did yeah, not know. That yeah. was one of the purple shirts back when it yeah. first rebranded.
1: Um, and I just find that really interesting, just seeing the receipt change. It's it's still the same backing of the receipt with the sort of branding on the back. Yeah. Um, but just the sort of name at the top of the receipt is goes from Electronics Boutique to game let's go
0: so you've actually got the transition yeah Yeah.
1: and and the dates show they match up i looked up they rebranded in 2002 and it must have just been between august and september that's pretty cool and And you can
0: still read the receipts
1: yeah they're a wee bit
0: faded yeah um i've I've got the receipt still (laughs) this is gonna bore the hell out of some people i'm sure but i still got the receipt for my sonic adventure 2 yeah um game on the dreamcast because i picked it up on the 15th birthday or was it 10th 10th birthday it might have been either way um and uh, I kept the receipt because I was oh, I bought it on his birthday type thing. And yeah. um, and uh, it's totally faded now. It's it's totally unreadable.
1: I think it depends. Like, my Red Alert one is quite faded. You, mm. you can only really see it in certain lights. Uh, these ones are in quite good condition. I think it just depends how they print them. Because some of them are, are heat. It's like the paper goes through like a heater and it yeah. heats them up with like a laser or something. And if you keep them in a, a place that's too warm, they'll just eventually turn black. Because right. the mm. ink will, or however it works, will be things... The ones that are sort of um, more like ink dot uh, printers, mm-hmm. older ones, those ones I think just fade and depending on how they've been kept, they're fine. Not that I'm a pr- I am know a lot about receipt printing, <laughs> but from what I've seen from these receipts that I've kept and also cinema tickets, yeah. that's how it works. Um, another one, I've got a copy of Metal Gear Solid 2 that I bought in Japan. Mm-hmm. That's fun because it's got the original receipt in Japanese, mm-hmm. um, I believe. I can't read Japanese, but it looks like... <laughs> Does it have a date on it or...? Can't remember. Uh, and if it did, I believe it would still be in some weird, like, would they not, like, have kanji or something? Maybe. Uh, I think they would have had, like, numbers, but there's also, like, a kanji for, like, year or yeah. something. I don't know. It's fun, uh, seeing it in Japanese. Um, some more interesting ones. My, uh, you find not just receipts, my copy of Grim Fandango for the PC has a floppy disk in it. And I haven't loaded it up in a while, so I don't remember, uh, exactly what's on it. Internal. You still have a floppy disk reader? I don't have one, so I can't check. But it is a, I know for certain, because mm. it was written on the label and I remember looking at it, it's a walkthrough written by the person who owned the game originally. So that's really fun. Like somebody's sat and written a walkthrough, saved it on a floppy disk, yeah. and then traded it in and included it.
0: Um, it's quite an investment in time as well.
1: Yeah, uh, and along those sort of lines, I have a boxed copy of Myst, yeah. which has um, a book, a notebook in it. With the person's notes from when they solved the game's puzzles. That's so cool. Yeah, and this person, I, I, I'm going to put give you photos, and we'll maybe upload them. Oh right, because yeah, these yeah. notes are really sort of uh, fastidious, and they've done these really nice little pictures of everything. And I'm just like, that's some effort. My
0: so to find that with the game, it almost turns it, it gives it a third dimension. Yeah, yeah. it's it's um, really cool to me. These
1: are why I collect games. This is the history of these games. That the, I'm assuming the person who wrote these notes and who wrote this walkthrough, it's on a floppy. So they did it at the time when these games were relevant. Yeah. So this is sort of, um, it's stuff that is easily lost. So you can buy Mist on Steam, but you don't get the, the ancillary sort of like meta no, data or no, the sort of, um, the attitude towards those games and how people experience them.
0: Well, I mean, the equivalent is, uh, you have a copy of the witness but presumably that's a digital download yeah but you took a lot of notes on that and like you were sitting uh working offline trying to solve puzzles yeah on paper i
1: think i mentioned one of my favorite things about that game was i took paper to work Mm. with the puzzles written down on it yeah and worked out at work and took it home and found out then that i had actually solved the puzzle
0: yeah um and given that it's a digital copy that kind of ends with you now doesn't it yeah well
1: I, i can't that Digital copy, yeah, I can't pass that on. Mm-hmm. And if I could, I wouldn't be able to pass on the notes with it. Sure. So, um, people don't think about these things when you talk about physical releases versus digital release. Um, and also preserving games. You can't preserve these things. Mm-hmm. Um, and nobody's actively preserving them. Um, and then, so here's another one. This is the big one. This is the one that made me want to talk about this. Is mm-hmm. I have a copy of Escape from Monkey Island for PlayStation 2. Um, I think I bought this in Dunfermline. So, uh, And I know that the person who... It's a letter, basically, to a PlayStation 2 magazine. Mm-hmm. And um, I know that this person uh, resided in England, because uh, there was an address on the letter. Um, so I don't know how it got to Confirmland whether or not game reallocated pre-owned stock, or if it just travelled all the way to the country. Uh, so I'd like to read this letter now. Um, yeah. I've obviously removed the address and the name. Mm-hmm. Um, so it starts... It's just, Dear Official PlayStation 2 Mag... I bought Escape from Monkey Island a while back, and it has been collecting dust ever since, because I am stuck at Lucre Island. I don't know how to pronounce that, but, um... I just can't get past Ozzy Mandrel. I have to make a trail of some sort to get through the forest. I've been putting the termite-infested prosthetic hand onto his cane, but he keeps saying, What are you doing? Stop that. I've also tried running through the forest after him. It's just impossible. Please help me. What do I have to do? If there are any mags out there, I've missed them, as I've started to collect your mags at number 51. I've also looked in every game shop for a guide, but I had no luck, and I haven't got the internet. So please help me. If you can't be arsed to put this in your magazine, then please write to me at this address. I would be so grateful. Uh, and she's actually dated it as well uh. um, on the letter. Dated Friday the 24th of June 2005. Wow. Um Which was it's about 11 years ago now. Right? Yeah. Um, that is... And I I would love to know whether or not they responded to her. I don't know if I can go back and find some I of the old if magazines. She,
0: if she managed to complete the game, yeah.
1: Um, and the letter's still in there. Uh, there was another piece in it. She's got um a page with a guide for the uh, monkey combat segment of the game. Um, uh, so she's obviously found some guide for, or maybe she worked that out herself as well. Um, I'd just like to know if like. I tried looking her up on Facebook. It's a wee bit creepy. I've got her name. I don't there's no way to know if it was the person who was on Facebook. Nobody with that name. This was to approach
0: her um, to to potentially get a soundbite or something for the show, it wasn't it wasn't simply a case of like to stalk someone on No, no, <laughs> I,
1: no. I looked her up just. I I I had the game and I was like, I want you know, I wondered if she'd maybe completed it yeah, or, yeah. or what, and I'd just be like, hey, I, I found this letter, isn't that interesting? Still in the game. I mean, she left it in there, so it's on her. If some creepy guy messages her on Facebook, being like, I've got your Monkey
0: Island game. There, there are no, probably it's... worse people that could have found that. Yeah,
1: um, but no, it, just to maybe say like did you ever complete it was it ever in the magazine or did they write you back i don't know i assume they didn't because maybe if they wrote her back that would be in the case as well but um or maybe she never sent it maybe she wrote it and just put it in the case and maybe. they traded it in like who knows it's a mystery and i i really want to know but i like that it just um it just takes you back to the time that that game was out so this person didn't have the internet mm-hmm. like um and didn't have access to the internet like they couldn't go to the library i don't know um, they I mean, were buying the magazine. That's, yeah,
0: it's run right about the time I started university, I think. So the internet was freely available. Yeah,
1: I, I, we had the like I had the internet. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, uh, and I was, like
0: like you say, libraries and there was public access. Yeah, And high schools and stuff. So, um,
1: and it's stuff like uh, with the Super Mario Sunshine receipts, um, they give you an eye into what was happening to EB Games at the time and yeah, stuff yeah. like that, and it just I, gives you this like. I, Sorry. Having a physical
0: copy of an old game, it can sometimes turn into a bit of a time capsule. Yeah, exactly. So like like here and like with your receipts, so it's, yeah. it'd be interesting. And I think it'd be nice to hear as well if any of our listeners have ever found anything interesting in a, yeah, a, a video game case.
1: Um, and I think there's a lot out there. There's also like sort of wee ones. I think you said earlier today that you had one with loads of passcodes in it. Or yeah, something.
0: yeah. It was um back when I used to rent Mega Drive games um, from the local rental store. Um, somebody put. Um, in Dr. Robotnik's Mean beam Machine, uh, which was kind of like a Columns Tetris type thing, yeah. um, somebody put in the level skip cheats for every level. So yeah. they'd obviously gone through it, and every time you complete it, you get a, a code so that you don't have to start from the beginning. Yeah. And uh, I thought that was pretty cool.
1: Um, there's ones as well. I, I remember I've got a copy of Digimon World. Right. Um And written on the inside of the insert of the case, Mm. it says, like, um, Josh's game, Return on Friday. (laughs) So that takes you there. You're like, oh, some parent's written this because the kid's lending it to his friend or something. And they're like, you need to return this on this day. Well, just write his name inside it, and this is the day you have to return it. And now I've got it. And I'm like, some kid owned this. I don't know when. I I was a kid when it came out, so... um, it just takes you back. I remember lending games to friends. I wonder if they friends. didn't give it back and just traded it in for yeah. money instead. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe they never, um, never saw it again. It's, it's weird, but it's also like I think I don't know if metadata is the correct term, but it, it gives you a it's stuff that wouldn't be saved. Like the game itself doesn't hold those answers. Yeah. It's ancillary. It's, it's it gives you an impression of the time. Um, things that are more transient are like if somebody has a save on a cartridge and you you load it up pre-owned and it's got like their save on it. Yeah. I have a, a Game Boy camera. Um, I deleted these photos, but when I loaded it up, I bought the Game Boy camera pre-owned mm-hmm. and there was loads of photos still on it. Yeah. Uh, you couldn't really work out what they were, but it's like people doing like funny faces and stuff. And that sort of like, oh, that's cool. People at one point enjoyed this thing rather than me sitting having it on my shelf because I think it's cool and interesting. Yeah. Um, I don't use it, but here's a, an example of people actually using it and playing with it. Yeah. And it's just that stuff is going to be lost if people don't, you know, Nobody writes about these things, obviously. Nobody documents them, so it's just weird sort of things. I I really like that. That's what I love about collecting games and other people's old games and stuff like that. It's a nice
0: little Easter egg. Yeah. Um, So I think we can pretty much finish up there. One last thing. Yeah. Do you have a poorly remembered game quote for us this week? I
1: do, and it's very poorly remembered now that I've forgotten it, so here we go. (laughs) Um, It is, "'Look at me, Sketch. I'm just a drawing, but I'll be free soon enough once you're dead.'" Um, So that is the pearly remembered game quote that I have for you today. Sinister. Yeah, it's a a great game. So if you don't know it, you should feel ashamed. Uh, And (laughs) And if you do know it. Yeah, if you do know it, tell us, I guess.
0: And if you don't, you'll find out next week. Yeah. Uh,
1: I guess people can contact us on Facebook.
0: Yes. If you want to get in touch with us for any reason whatsoever, if you want to give us feedback or criticism. Or if you're this person that
1: wrote this letter and you're listening for some freak coincidence Tell me, did you did you work it out? Who's Ozymandril? Was it fun? Like,
0: yeah, yeah. Sorry. If there's that slim chance that you're one of our regular listeners, definitely get in touch. That'd be really cool. And yeah, uh, we're on iTunes now, so yeah. you can subscribe to us. Yeah, and if you enjoy the podcast, maybe give us a good review. Yeah, we're legit now. Thanks for listening, guys. See you soon. Bye. Bye. Bye.